HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. Hi, this is Severin, and this is Greenhorns Radio, and it is a happy day because it is summer, and summer is the best time of year to be a farmer. Well, I think to be anybody, but especially to be a farmer. And uh, I'm high on sunshine, and uh, many other people are too. I know that it's not only me. I am joined today by Tom Becker from Sunseed Farm in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And he is a seed saver and a pioneer of many things. But let me let you introduce yourself, Tom, are you, if you're on the line. Yeah. Um, I'm Tom Becker. I run Sunseed Farm, as you said, here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, my wife and I started, um, started the farm about two years ago now. And as you can say, we're, as you said, we're in the middle of a busy summer. So, yeah, hard work. Hard work. <laughs> And you came straight out of school to be farming. You never even had a real-world job, so this is, like, all you know. Well, I spent some time. Um, I was actually lucky enough to um, get a job at the Student Organic Farm. Um, at, uh, I, was, I was able to run their farm for a few years as the production manager, so I was actually lucky enough to work in sort of a somewhat sheltered environment for a few years while I was able to cut my teeth on there on the farm that they already had set up there. So, yeah. And that luck is still going strong? <laughs> indeed, indeed. It's, it's been, we've, we've felt really welcomed here in this community. Um, as I was saying before, we started our farm two years ago, and uh, we're new to the area and just found uh, a, a great welcoming community here in Ann Arbor. 
um, really ready to support local uh, sustainable agriculture. Um, when we first started our farm, one of the first things we did was build a hoop house. Um, and some friends of ours um, through Selma Cafe, which is a amazing, innovative community breakfast that raises funds for local farmers to build hoop houses uh, here in Ann Arbor, um, organized a group of volunteers. About 40 people came out to our farm that we didn't know, had never met, to help us build a hoop house and talk about a great welcome to the community. Wow, that's pretty. I mean, you know, you always say that phrase, support, support, you know, support local agriculture, and usually it means like show up on a rainy day in the farmers market and buy, and you know, stop by on your way home from work at their farm stand and like buy a bunch of stuff and commit to buying for a season. But the whole like show up and help in the in in the rain and the snow and show up and help when it's hot and awkward, like putting up food products is pretty much the most awkward. <laughs> yeah, and they, they've done it again and again and again here in Ann Arbor this year. There were 15, I believe 15 hoop houses put up by the volunteer crews that were organized by Selma Cafe. So, yeah, we've got an extremely dedicated group of local agricultural supporters here in Ann Arbor. So there you are, and you have your dedicated people, so you're feeling solid and strong. And then you decided to go and be audacious and get involved in the very highly political work of seed saving. What made you? What made you feel so? I know now why you're confident, but uh, what are you finding in this new in this new world? <laughs> well, we we do a little bit of seed saving. You know, it's it's a um, it's a definitely a complicated and. Um, you know, time-consuming process um, saving seeds. So we're mainly focused, you know, here on on producing crops um, for our for our you know for our CSA customers year in and year out. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of local farmers around us that are saving seeds that we're working with, and um, really hoping that more farmers in this area will begin to to save seeds. One thing that Michigan is really missing is a, a strong, you know. Saving community, and um, it's time that we um, begin to develop varieties that are special to our area and that are adapted to grow in these conditions. So. Well, why is that? It would seem like Michigan has a good history of specialty crops and vegetable crops and a lot of diversity and density of those kinds of operations, and yet, well, maybe it's the climate. It's just not as good as the West Coast for growing seed. Is that what it is? Um, I don't. I don't know if it's that. We have a great climate here in Michigan for growing vegetables, and then it's not to say that there's not a strong seed saving community because there are a lot of there are a lot of gardeners that are saving food, saving seeds for their for their gardens and for their communities. But as far as production scale seed seed producing, um, we just don't have it. So it's difficult for for farmers that are growing up to scale um, for for a large number of people to really get the seed that they need to, to plant things out. Um, and I think so, this has to do with, uh, with the loss of our you know, agricultural diversity um, over, the, over the last few decades. And I think that we're starting to regain that, but um, starting a real production-scale seed-producing operation is a, is a whole different story than just, um, than just growing some for your own garden. It's a whole new story, a big story, a fun, a fun story, a complicated, multi-part 
story with many protagonists, I'm sure. Yes, indeed. Well, and so other regions in this country, I'm sure many of our listeners know, but some of them may not, are blessed with regionally oriented, open-pollinated seed companies, some of them working mostly on a scale for gardeners, some of them more oriented towards, you know, medium and large-scale organic farms. Obviously in Maine, there's Johnny's and Fedco, who are very high on the list, but there's high mowing seed and southern exposure seed, a whole slew of West Coast, North Pacific Northwest seed-saving energy, um, a lot of, like, new seed companies out in uh, Washington, Oregon. What do you guys have up there? Well, who are the big players out in Moses' territory? <laughs> well, those are the ones that, that we order from. I'm, I'm not really aware of any um, open-pollinated seed producers that we have here in Michigan, so... You know, the, most of the farmers that I talk to, us included, are ordering from those seed companies that you that you just talked about. Um, encouraging some of my farmer friends who are uh, interested in getting into business soon to maybe consider um, starting a seed farm of their own. Well, I want to just occur to me as we're talking is um, Seed Savers Exchange they're out in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's kind of close-ish. Not really that close. <laughs> yeah, a little drive away whole different climate over there in Iowa. It's part of the Midwest, but Michigan is sort of a unique climate in and of, it, in and of itself, being a peninsula and surrounded by lakes as we are. Well, okay, so I think, so I think there's going to be a major market opportunity for you to have Michigan, a Michigan-based seed experience, but maybe we should talk a little bit about, well, who, who, who are the you know, dominant immigrant populations in Michigan, and then what have them been the traditional specialty crops? Because those are those are some those are some defining characteristics for any agricultural reason, and particularly when you're starting to think about the identity of your seed bread. Well, the, Michigan is is one of the most agriculturally diverse states in the nation. Um, there's a lot of states that have the claim, but we also claim to be second most diverse in in vegetable production and agricultural production um, behind California. So. You know, we grow, there's a huge amount of uh, cherries and asparagus that we grow here. Um, But then, you know, there's a great wealth of uh, vegetable producers all around the state. Um, They're producing all kinds of different vegetables. Uh, We've got a lot of, uh, uh, did you mean uh, our current uh, immigrants that are coming into the state now or the, the, the historic immigrants that came long ago? Well, I'm interested in both. I mean, you know. It's, but uh, but uh, but the ag usually is affected by the historic immigrants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there were a lot of Dutch that came in, so it, you know we uh, we grow a lot of rutabagas and potatoes and um, all kinds of stuff for our Swedish immigrants that came in and, and worked up in the North Country um, long ago. But you know it's a great diversity of immigrant populations here in Michigan and. And we, you know, there's, we're growing a creative city of vegetables to accommodate all those different cultural experiences. Um, I can say that our farm, we grow about 70 different kinds of vegetables. So, you know, we're working to not just accommodate everybody's tastes and what they, what they like and what their families have liked, but try to expand those tastes and um, branch out into everything that we can possibly grow in this climate. So That's really like exciting. pushing the seed envelope. 
<laughs> yes, indeed, of course, always. <laughs> um, okay, well, and what is? Let's talk about Michigan. You know, Michigan State. I mean, I've been meeting a lot of people from Michigan State and who went through that organic program, and you know, and high tunnel, high tunnel cultivators, all of them. Mm-hmm. Explain to us a little bit. You know, what what's been good about an extension that's tuned into the needs of vegetable growers. Well, Michigan State has has been really leading um, university and in, in developing um, and sort of perfecting this new technology that we're using in in high tunnels or, or hoop houses. Hoop houses being a passive solar greenhouse, basically just uh, just steel hoops with plastic pulled over them. Um, it's become sort of the premier. The student organic farm has become sort of the premier site in the Midwest for um, four season growing in these structures. And uh, the resources that MSU is able to bring to bear on, on, on research and finding, you know, the implications of growing in these hoop houses over a long period of time and just exactly how to perfect our planting schedules and how to harness the energy of the sun effectively in the wintertime has been really, really important. You know, here in Ann Arbor, we are working on developing a local food system, but it doesn't really make sense to talk about a local food system unless we can produce food all year round. And so the work that they're doing in MSU and the work that a lot of other farmers in this area are doing to develop our knowledge and technology is, uh, is really, really important. So high technology in the upper Midwest. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's using and an old technology. Result, I'm sure you're drawing in people, uh, innovative, entrepreneurial, strong-hearted, big risk-taking young people from all around the country importing them into Michigan and injecting them into an agricultural matrix that needs their help. Don't you think other states should follow suit? Absolutely, absolutely. The great thing about this, you know, high tunnels is that you can do it anywhere. Um, and people are growing in hoop houses in the far north of Michigan. They're growing them growing in Alaska and all over the country. And it's time to, um, time to protect our crops in the wintertime and keep, keep eating all year round from our local food shed. Well, I think that this is. I think that this is what the states will start having to do: is think in terms of what what their ag economy needs, and and really, you know, as these resources get cut, um, and and extension has you know been on the chopping block and continues to be on the chopping block, and state budgets are, you know, a diminishing a diminishing thing, as are obviously this federal debt situation makes you kind of wiggle in your seat when you listen to it on the radio. But anyway. That the strategic investment in job-producing, productive uh, capacity building for a sector that's already there and that has a lot of energy behind it would seem Absolutely. to yield um, really fact, positive there's, results. There's, what kind fact, of numbers some, can we throw at them? Or what kind of but, evidence would you provide for that? Uh, for, for, the, for the importance of the four-season technology? Um, yeah, but also just for, for agricultural job growth. What evidence can you present that points towards a positive yield from state investment in extension and training all these new farmers, developing the technology of the high tunnel, and being, um, you know, building capacity within the agricultural sector? What are some yields okay. that you would point to, you know, to politicians and say, hey, look, that's a model that works and is doing, is doing work for your state? 
Well, I can point to um, the development that's been happening here in Ann Arbor um, with the startup of a lot of new new businesses here. Um, just recently, there's been um, there's been a um, a program by USDA and another program by um, DLAG, the Department for Energy, Labor, and Economic Growth here in Michigan, to to build hoop houses to provide funding for farmers to build hoop houses. And related to this, there, there, this, there have been dozens of hoop houses built, and um, many many new businesses started, um, many new small businesses started, including ours. So in the past two years, we've gone to. Um, support uh, myself, my wife, and two other full-time positions. Um, you know, as we see sort of the, co- the collapse of the manufacturing industry here in Michigan or the near collapse of it, uh, it's time to, that we start to get back to our roots, to our agricultural roots, and the way to do that is to encourage small business development, and um, the way that we can really do that is through development of this, this new market, which is um, four-season growing in, in Michigan. Um, we've seen a great boom in demand for local foods through the through the winter, and um, it's just not being met at all. Um, it's time that we start to get this technology into farmers' hands and really start to create livelihoods that last all the way through the all the way through the year that aren't just simply seasonal. Uh, it's really important to have that income stream throughout the whole season, and you know we see more than doubling of our potential to make money um, through the year because of these hoop houses. Well, I, I well done, and I would also add to that that the local dollars circling in the local economy, keeping that money in the state, that has an, an, an incredible um, amplifier impact, and that the you know majority of new jobs. Apparently, I was listening on the radio. They said forty percent of new job creation happens in small businesses. So. You know, it would seem to me <laughs> that farming is just as good a small business as any other to, to get new jobs going in. Absolutely, there's there's over a billion dollars um, over a billion dollars is spent on food in Washtenaw County, and right now, nearly all of that money goes away, leaves Washtenaw County. And um, there's been a campaign. Um, here it's called 10% Washtenaw, the idea that we can keep 10% of our food budget here, the $100 million, and that's a whole lot of jobs that we can create and we can keep here, not to mention, the, like you said, the, the impact the, that, that that continues to have as that money circulates in our, in our local economy and continues to build capacity for our community. May the money continue to circulate and may the people be fed. <laughs> yes. Let's keep what we have and, and build more with it. So what else is going on down there? What's the news? What's, like, on your mind, other than it's hot and there's a lot of work? <laughs> it's been a really challenging spring for us this year. Um, well, it was a really challenging spring for us. Was, I believe we had 21 days of rain in May, which uh, was a new challenge for us as farmers, um, having our field flooded for May. Um, and we've had a, a funny change, and now we've had drought for the last month or so. So, Okay, this is my final question. Are you ready? I'm ready. The final question is, do you think we will make it? Do you think that this global climate change is going to destroy our capacity to make strawberries or cherries or tomatoes, or if we will figure out how to still grow delicious fruit in the changing climate? <laughs> 
Well, as uh, as neither a strawberry nor a cherry grower, I think that we'll definitely make it. I think that we're going to have to adapt. There's going to have to be some really big changes um, in every part of our lives. And we might have to learn to love rutabagas more than we do now, but um, I think that we can do it. Take some, it's, it's just it's time that we start making the changes now um, that we're going to need to make in the future. And um, I think we're resilient people, and um, we can see what's coming in time to in time to make the change that we need to. And I, I already believe that there's there's a growing awareness of, of the issues that are at hand, and um, we see a burgeoning um, contingent of young people who are are answering the call and um, getting ready to to make our lives off the land like like we used to and like we're going to. Yeah, it seems very human to respond to a crisis, so that makes me feel very hot, positive as well. Uh, and I'm so glad to know that you're holding it down out there. If people are interested to think about farming in Michigan, where should they go for, for support? And, and where, where, what are the, like, what's the scene? What's the place, what's the place to find out about stuff? Well, the Michigan Young Farming Farmers Coalition is a great way, place to, to find out. They have a website to search for Michigan Young Farmer Coalition, um, and it's a great group of young people who are um, really rocking it out in the fields every day and learning what needs to be learned to regain our agricultural heritage. Um, if you're interested in, in learning how to farm and um, starting your livelihood um, in agriculture, the Michigan State University Student Organic Farm is the place to go to learn that. Um, but go to your local farmer's market, find your local sustainable producers, and talk to them about what it's like to farm. Um, spend a day on a farm. You might learn something. Right on. Right on, right strong. Awesome to hear. Let me do a quick little call-out for some upcoming events in Greenhornlandia. Greenhornlandia has been very busy this spring. We've been showing our movie. We've now shown it, I think, 100 times, which is a lot of times. And on the Greenhorn event page, you will read that we're screening it in Queens on the 7th of July, in Northfield, Minnesota on the 30th of July, in Brooklyn, New York on the 24th of July, Staten, Virginia on the 19th of July. There's also one in upstate somewhere in there. It's not on the website. This is weird. Um, and then on the West Coast, there are continuing events at the Oakland Museum. We're in Caledonia, Illinois. We're in Amherst, Massachusetts. We're in uh, Sullivan County. There's an event in New York City next week. Um, I'm on a panel. Uh, let's see now. That's the 19th of July. Oh, that's this week. Well, anyway, there's a lot. So if you're not on the blog every day because you're too busy, I understand. But if you're not quite busy enough and you need some more social life, consider joining us at some of these events and in the digital in the digital atmosphere of, of, of kindness that we are happy to make. And I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. There's a lot of posturing and talking around raw milk these days and how great it is. But if you really want to get a full-on investigation into the pros and cons, the risks and benefits of raw milk consumption, here's a nifty website www.realrawmilkfacts.com. It has a laundry list of FAQs, along with information from studies and reports from American and European science communities. If you flirt with raw milk consumption, this is definitely worth taking a look at. 
This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer.